listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hard to imagine, but we're almost 300 episodes into the Save the Marriage podcast. That means that if you started right now and listened once a day to the podcast, all of them, by the time you finished, I would have gotten to the place where it took you a year to get through them. That's kind of an amazing thing in my mind to think that it's gone that long. And not only that, but how many people respond with how important this has been to them in starting the process of saving their marriage. Think about how this podcast can be broadcast around the world because of our modern technology, and it amazes me that I have the chance on a regular basis of spending time with you, and more than that, that you take the time. And I recognize time is such a precious commodity, but you take the time because you have something you're working towards. And part of what I think you're working towards is something that I've seen repeated in my life. And I've always talked about it as a thriving marriage. And I want to use a different word today. That is the anti-fragile relationship. Now, there's a reason I'm using that term. And and I want to compare it to a fragile relationship. A fragile relationship is easily cracked. It gets into trouble very quickly and has a hard time recovering. In fact, every time it seems that there's something that hits it, it knocks it down a little bit further. So let's kind of think about three different levels. First, there is the fragile relationship. That's the one that something hits it, it rocks it, and it just has a hard time gaining any traction after that. And then there is what maybe some would talk about as more resilient. Resilience is when something happens and you kind of get back to the beginning point. So maybe you've had a pretty decent relationship and something knocks you down and you finally get back to that decent relationship. Now, what we're talking about today is what if it goes beyond that? And you may be wondering on a Save the Marriage podcast why we would be talking about this. So I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret. Not a big secret because I've talked about this so many times. I'm not here just to stop a legal process. You can see lots of very manipulative approaches to stopping a divorce, This is not what I want to do. I want to save a marriage, but not only save the marriage, but build it into something that you would want. That's been the work of my life. It's been my aim to help people not just preserve the relationship, which is kind of maybe that resilient thing where you you get through something and you hang on. So let's say you go towards a crisis and you've got a, a bad relationship, right? And then somebody says, hey, I want a divorce, and you manage to stop that crisis and you get back to a bad relationship. That to me is not the answer. We're trying to get to something else. Now that something else, that's an interesting thing to think about. What would that look like? Let's talk a little bit about what I mean by this process because I'll tell you, over the years, I spent a lot of time interviewing couples that are not the trouble couples, but couples that have, have kind of avoided the problems, have managed to be successful in their relationship. It's probably why this is on my mind so much. Just this past weekend, uh, we were celebrating my son's graduation from college. And so I was there, my wife was there, my daughter was there. Of course, my son was there also. Uh, We all went to his college town and my parents came to visit. 
while they were there, I interviewed them, not just a little bit. I interviewed them for a new program I have, the Relationship Rewrite Program, where I'm interviewing experts, different kind of experts, authors and coaches and therapists and all kinds of people, uh, people who are on the, the front side of helping couples and also couples who have been successful. And so I decided that I wanted to interview my parents as kind of the first couple that I put into that program to help people hear a little bit about where I came from, but also to hear how my parents have managed to, for almost six decades now, have a happy relationship. What I realized as I was talking with them is I was hearing a common theme that I've heard from other successful relationships over the years. Not only that, but it's a theme that is missing in couples that are in trouble. So that had me thinking about this process as we were coming back. So let me bring in another piece of that process. Years ago, when my son was much younger, when he was in middle school, it's the last time I could manage it, I coached his basketball team. Soon after that, I was out of my league as a coach, but I could manage to do that uh, in a pro- small school. It was a very small school with not a whole lot of people on the team. And we were also not only just not a lot on the team, but we were also kind of at the bottom of the league we were in. It was a private school league, and we were up against some big boy schools. We weren't that. It was a small private school. And so I was coaching the boys, and you know we had a limited pool to pull from, and so anybody who wanted to play could play. And we had a couple of gifted players. We had one who was really gifted, and that was kind of our team. You know, everybody else kind of played in support of that. And we were always trying to get the ball to the ones who could really do it. And that's not really a team. It really wasn't what we wanted. It was how we managed to survive. We practiced as a team. We practiced to work as a team. But I noticed that many times I was fighting to get the kids to act as a team because they were desperate to score. And so they were feeding the shots to the person who was particularly talented on the team. Now, That means, you know, when you have an all-star on your team, that's a cool thing to have, but it's not great about winning. The reason is all the other team has to do is look at that and say, let's shut down that player. Or let's say that player is a little aggressive and and fouls out and they're out of the game. You're out of luck, right? You don't have that. The team falters when they don't function as a team. We can see it lots of times uh, in professional sports when there's a team that has a couple of really hot shot players who can't get along to work as a team because they want to work as individuals. They can't hold it together. That's kind of that common thread. Now, I have a, a friend of mine who is also a labor organizer, and I remember hearing him talk one time, and he pulled out a pencil, and he walked over and said, here, can you break that? And the person snapped it, and he said, yeah, I mean, a pencil is not real big, is it? The person said, no, I can snap a pencil. And he said, yeah, but how about this? And he handed him a stack of probably 10, 15 pencils. And the person couldn't break them as much as they tried. They couldn't break them. And his, his point was, when we stand together, we hold together. When we stand apart, we fall apart. We're easily broken. And, and that's really what happens in life. We have a choice. Are we going to move towards this anti-fragile place, or are we going to be in a fragile place? Think about how this works in real life. We've now managed to send astronauts into outer space, or at least to the edge of space, and put them on a space station where they've managed to live for months on end. 
And they do very well on the space station. But what happens when they come back to Earth? We know a couple of things have happened to their body. Their muscles have atrophied and their bones have weakened because there was no challenge to them. And in nature, it's a use it or lose it kind of proposition. So if our body doesn't need our muscles to do a lot of work, it gives them up because it takes a lot of energy to keep those muscles. And the same with bones. Why keep it a sturdy bone when you don't need a sturdy bone? And so when there's no gravity that's fighting you, you don't need the muscles or you don't need the bone density until you come back to earth where there's a challenge to that. Now, you and I have the same thing every day. If we just sit on the couch or sit anywhere all day long, our muscles start to atrophy. If we don't do anything to challenge ourselves, our body begins to atrophy. It it begins, the muscles begin to kind of fail us because they're not needed. Well, that's kind of the nature of this idea of anti-fragile. Nassim Talib came up with this idea in his book, Anti-Fragile. And so while he was pointing to the business world and to companies, I want us to think about how that fits into relationships. What he said is that companies can be fragile, meaning they have to be protected from some outside influence. You know, when when something comes along and pushes against the company, a fragile company falls apart. Now, a fragile company, even a fragile company can do well as long as there's no challenge to it, as long as there's nothing that happens to it. And what he says is sometimes we inherently make companies fragile because we protect them so much and we don't give ways for them to deal with the tough stuff. And then he said there are these resilient companies. They're the ones that, you know, they kind of come back. A crisis hits them and they come back. They get to the place where, you know, maybe um, a recession hits them or, or, or maybe, um, you know, tariffs hit them or, or maybe some other incident happens. And for a while, they're down. But then when the situation corrects itself, they, they get back to where they were. And so on their uh, profit sheet, you can see that they, they have profit, profit, and then they drop because of whatever that outside incident. And then they get back up to that profit place again. They're resilient because they get back to their baseline. But then he says that there are other companies that actually learn to benefit from the challenges, learn to take on the challenges and bounce back from the challenges. They see the challenges as opportunities to grow themselves, kind of like the opportunities we have in life when we challenge our body to grow stronger. Now, the thing about companies is a lot of times you can't plan for the challenges. They just happen. But you can have a mindset of how you're going to go about this. What he says is there are times when the shock happens and that grows stronger from that. So in companies, the ones that are anti-fragile actually benefit from the shocks. When they're exposed to volatility or randomness or, as he says, disorder or stressors, they grow stronger, not just baseline back, but they grow stronger. Sure, maybe they take a dip while they figure out the next steps, but they grow stronger. They find a new way through. Well, this idea of anti-fragile is not just about companies. It's not just about our bodies. It's also in our relationships. The couples who succeed 
are the ones who decide that they're going to not just you know, kind of get back to baseline or not be fractured by something, but to grow through it, to actually thrive. That's my term for this. When we thrive, we take on the challenges in life and we go above the challenge. We go above where we were before the challenge. We grow stronger from it. When I was interviewing my parents, that story came up over and over. They would have a challenge, a setback, a struggle. Then they would figure out how to face it together as a couple. They would rise above it, and they would find that they were stronger as a couple. Now, understand that when we're talking about marriages, that doesn't mean that you know when a struggle comes, when a challenge comes, you leave it more profitable than you were before. That's not how we judge relationships. How I judge relationships and their success is how do we weather it through? How do we stand together stronger or weaker? Years ago, my wife and I were on a vacation with our toddling daughter. And I remember this moment because it really was a pivot point for me. The um, air conditioning system was not working where we were staying. It was my, my parents' place, and it wasn't working. And so we were letting them come to work on the system. And I had taken off a cover in the floor, and it still had a filter underneath it. It was a fiberglass filter. So the cover was off, and I was talking to the person on the phone. My wife was dealing with some other things in the house. My daughter was toddling around and stepped on top of that fiberglass filter. The filter collapsed. I was still talking on the phone. My wife was uh, taking care of other things in the house, and suddenly our daughter was beginning to drop into the floor, and the next stop was actually the air conditioning system, which was running a big rotating fan. By the time we grabbed her, all that was left was a hand and a foot. She had already kind of fallen through, and she was just holding on barely by a hand and a foot. We both grabbed her, snatched her, pulled her up, and our immediate reaction was to point the finger at each other and accuse each other of having allowed that to happen. We turned on each other in the middle of a crisis. We suddenly realized what we were doing. We stopped, and we decided we weren't going to do that anymore. That when something was happening, we didn't need to turn on each other, but we needed to support each other. So in that moment, that challenge, it's kind of that anti-fragile point when you realize that you've exposed a possible weakness in the system. So how do you go about dealing with that? Well, we're kind of like those pencils. It's easy to snap a pencil when it's just one, but two, it's a lot harder. When you stand together in something, it's a lot harder. There's one guarantee in life. Well, there are a few guarantees in life. One, one is that life will end. The other is that it will have struggles along the way. We don't have to worry about the fact that it will end. That will take care of itself. But the guarantee in life is that we're all going to have struggles. Sometimes we look at couples who have had successful relationships and we imagine that they've never had the tough stuff. They've never had to really deal with stuff. My mother dealt with uh, a um, health issue. She had cancer when I had just uh, gotten married, left college, was headed to grad school. She found out shortly before I got married that cancer was the type that could have killed her. My father uh, had a stroke a couple of years ago. 
they both have lost uh, both of, all of their parents uh, along the way from uh, sometimes some long-term health stuff. My mother lost both of her sisters. My father recently lost his brother. There, there have been losses along the way. Not only that, but they had to struggle through some times when it was a little lean at our house financially. And what I notice is a lot of times when there's a struggle, we can make it between us or allow it to be something we face together. And this anti-fragile relationship is not about making it between us. Not about making it something that we're against each other. But how do we join together? We don't have to agree in order to stand together. And that's an important distinction. Sometimes we think that we have to agree on everything. We have to agree to support each other. We have to agree to have each other's back. So what does a fragile marriage look like? Well, in a fragile marriage, I hear things like me and mine a whole lot. I need some me time. This is my time to do this. I want this out of my life. This is about the ego. This is about when we look back and say, you know, what am I getting out of this? When a fragile marriage is looking at things, it's looking at things from a win-lose proposition. The win-lose proposition says, if you get what you want, I don't want, I don't get what I want. We are opposed to each other. That's the problem. You know, it's a lot of times when there's two people, it's easy for it to be oppositional. And I recognize that that is in our human nature. In fact, I've been to a lot of training things that point this out. At one event I was at years ago, the instructions were simple. Turn and face each other. The person in front, the person in back, turn and face each other. The person in front of me turned around to face me. And she was an older woman. I was probably 35 years younger than she. She looked a little frail. And they said, put your hands, elbows down on the table and grab palm to palm. So her right arm, my right arm met at the hand. We formed a triangle up from our elbows to our hands that were joined together. And I looked at her and thought, oh my gracious, I've got to do a, a, you know, a, a little bit of arm wrestling with her. I can't imagine how I'll do that. And then the leader had this as the instruction. Your job is to touch each other's back of your hand as often as you can to the table. And I went, oh no, I'm going to hurt her. And so when they said start for a full minute, I very slowly put her hand back against the table over and over, but resisted hers. She was resisting me. We were arm wrestling and I was doing my best to not hurt, but I was also doing my best to get my score. After it was over, People started talking about their scores, and some people had this huge number of times that they had managed that. We had managed a few times. And then the leader said, what were your instructions? At any point did I say, struggle against your opponent? At any point did I say, they are your opponent? Did I not say they're your partner? Did I not say that your task is to touch each other's back of your hands, each side as often as possible, which if you think about it, all you had to do is go back and forth, back and forth as fast as you can. 
any resistance from one side or the other kept you from getting as high a score as you could. Almost everybody in the room had fallen prey to this. Almost all of us got into an arm wrestling match. All of us that fell into that arm wrestling match had become oppositional by the fact that it was one against the other, arms interlocked, going at it in arm wrestling. The real point was to cooperate together, be a team, be in it together to get each other's score as high as possible. My partner and I failed completely because we became oppositional. That's the nature of what happens in many marriages. At one training, I tossed a rope to somebody in the audience and I slowly began to pull it and they started pulling back against it. Now, the harder I pulled, the harder they pulled. And I said, notice, I never asked you to be in a tug of war with me. I could have been asking you to come on stage with me. But your natural inclination in all of ours is to be oppositional, to pull against. That's the natural peace that we're fighting in a relationship, to find something different, to find something deeper, to find something where we're like those pencils, standing together. Because when we stand together, we're tough. When we push against each other, we break. The anti-fragile couples use things like we and us and ask the question, what's best for us? How can we cooperate and how can we protect our relationship? This is a mindset piece. On automatic, we humans tend to be oppositional. That's why coaches have to work so hard to build the team up. They don't do that automatically. When we change our mindset from automatic to the one we want, to the choice we make, then we decide to live cooperatively. And in a marriage, more than anywhere else, we need to have that cooperative stance where we say, we are in this together. You and I join together as we to get there. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this is kind of the secret of marriage that most people fail to see. That when a marriage is working, it's anti-fragile by nature because it's two people saying, we're in this together. I've got your back. You've got my back. We will work this through. We will find out what's best for us. It's not what do I get out of this. It's not what you get out of this. It's what we get together. What is best for us? And every decision is made based on what's best for us. I can tell you it's a challenge. My parents have gone through the challenge. My relationship has gone through that challenge. It's a challenge that we often fail because we go on automatic to the challenge state. So part of your task is to ask the question, am I going for... Uh, the relationship where we're against or whether we're on the same side. We're for each other. If you realize that you've been oppositional, it's a mindset shift to say, I'm not going to stay down that line. I'm going to make a different change. Now, sometimes once a relationship has gotten into trouble, you actually need some help in doing that. And that's part of the creation of my Save the Marriage system. It's built so that you are building that we. It's designed so that you know how to get to that way. If you feel like you're in the fragile category now, let's get you to the anti-fragile spot. First, let's get to the thrive spot or, or to the resilient spot where we get back to just getting back to where you are, but then to a thriving place where the relationship is building into the one you want it to be. If you don't have it, I would love it if you would grab my Save the Marriage system so that we can join together 
and getting you together in the process that builds that anti-fragile relationship. The place to get started is savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build and create that anti-fragile relationship and save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. Thank you.